Fathers, we come into this, your house, again anticipating just a moving of your spirit. Continue to draw us, Lord, to your heart through your word. That you would knit us to a reality of this world. That you would knit our hearts to your purposes and what you declare is going to be the reality. Father, there are things that we, in this day and age, we look to, we rely on. And yet, Father, you say, just seek you first, your kingdom. And then all these things will be added. Knit those things into our heart. Let them become a part of us. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. All right, saints, um, Revelation chapter 18. Last week we finished up chapter 17, and so here we are in chapter 18. As we were here last um, week, we kind of said how these two chapters were side by side. One, chapter 17, is the destruction of spiritual Babylon. And here in chapter 18, we have the destruction of the political or commercial Babylon. Let me begin by just beginning to read through this portion of scripture. It begins in verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place for demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. In verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her, in the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, I am no widow, I will see no sorrow, therefore her plagues will come in one day death and mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord who judges her. As we see this passage opening up in chapter 18, what we noted of course is that spiritual Babylon and the seduction of the harlot that was there in chapter 17 riding the beast And what we're seeing here is another type of seduction, another aspect of Babylon, but this is the political and the commercial Babylon. 
And we're going to see here that it deals with, in a sense, that area of the prosperity that Babylon was seeing initially underneath the reign of the Antichrist. And we note here, and I want you to see here, that when it comes to the prosperity, that is the people that they were drunk with. They were a part of that, and they were knit to it. And through that, verse 9 declares, the kings of the earth who committed fornication lived luxuriously with her and will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. There's an aspect, there's a truth when it comes to the area of just wanting wealth. There's a passage in the Gospel of Luke, I want to read it to you. Chapter 12, verse 15. It declares, and he said to them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Too much of this world, our life consists of what we possess. What I have, what I have, what I'm yet to have, what I want to have. And always a comparison to what I have now to what I had then. Am I moving up? Am I moving down? Where am I at in the terms of things? Is my bank account larger? Is my bank account smaller? Is my car newer? Is my car older? And we have this tendency of really comparing ourselves and we try to determine where we are in life by sometimes the things we have versus where I am in life by where am I with God? What is my relationship with God? What is my understanding of the scripture? Am I growing in grace? And so the real question is, is that, you know, what is the purpose of life? And the other thing is that, that how is our life to be lived? There's a passage, you, you know it, I share it a lot. It's actually my life verse. It's actually there etched into my Bible, Galatians 2.20. And this is for me the key to everything. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the faith, I live by, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's important to realize that this is the purpose of life and how we are to live life. This life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who loved me. He's the one who gave his life for me. He's the one who did these things. And so my life is not now my own. I've been bought with a price. I want to glorify the Lord in my body and in my spirit, which are his. And yet so much of what our world is doing is that it's going after this area of prosperity. And I don't know if you were around a few years ago in Christianity where there was this whole movement that was called the prosperity doctrine. That what you need to do is just simply tell God what it was that you wanted and he was going to give it to you. And depending upon your faith, depending upon how big of a car, how nice of a car, how much wealth you would actually have. And that was that whole direction to the prosperity doctrine. I want to share with you just something that we need to know when it comes to this whole area of stuff. 
Let's look at verse 10 for just a second. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you these verses. I'm going to give you verse 10, verse 15, verse 17, and verse 19. We're going to read those. Revelation 18, 10, 15, 17, and 19. Revelation 8, verse 10 says this. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon that mighty city, and notice what it says, for in one hour your judgment has come. And amazing, all this time, and we figured that within this three and a half years initially, that there was much, much wealth that was gathered, and possibly even into the seven year mark, until what? Until there was nothing. It's doing good, it's doing good, it's doing good. I don't know how good their 401ks were. I don't know how much they were selling. But I do know this. I know that at the end of verse 10, it says, In one hour, your judgment has come. In one hour, it was all gone. Where's your hope? Where's your life? What is it that you wrap your life in? And I think it's important that those who... You know, as that passage in Luke had shared that those who literally wrap their lives around and consistent in the abundance of things that they possess, at that point, these will be devastated. The ones who are in the Lord's like, praise the Lord, you're still on the throne. You're good. But I want you to see that verse 10 says at the very end of it, in one hour, your judgment has come. One hour. That, that's all. Very short time to wipe out everything that they had. In verse 15, we see this. Verse 17, it says this, For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance. And so we see once again that, you know, the same as there in verse 10, in one hour such riches came to nothing. Verse 19, they threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. I think what's interesting is in our world today, I don't know if you've noticed it. We live in America, so that's really not our problem. But the world is running after materialism. It is just absolutely incredible to see how the world is running after stuff. And they want stuff. They need stuff. Stuff is their security. As a matter of fact, coming up into this election, I don't know if you realize that almost in every single election, the number one issue facing any candidate is what? The economy. It's always that. There's this, this saying, it's called, it's the economy, stupid. They ask that question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And those are the questions that they ask. But what's interesting is this, it's always about what? It's all about the economy, the economy, the economy. I want to give to you a proverb, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. It declares this, righteousness exalts a nation. 
but sin is a reproach to any people. It's righteousness that exalts a nation, not the economy. We've talked about this before. The, the saying that's been coming is make America great again, make America great again. And I have no problem with that. But my saying is this, make America godly again. Because the key to a righteousness that will exalt the nation is when it is righteous. And I think what's interesting is this, that you don't see too many politicians on the stump saying, listen, I want to see America godly. I want to see America righteous. (laughs) That's not it. I want to see America wealthy. It's all about this materialism. And I think what's interesting is so much about what the nation does is it begins to compromise biblical principles in order to obtain even more wealth. And that's what we as a nation begin to do. We begin to leave the principles of God and we begin to compromise for for the nation to become greater and greater in its wealth. That we, think about this, there are many, many states in our country right now that are legalizing marijuana. And one of the main reasons they do this is um, so they can give money to the schools. Like we're, we're going to take all this money that we get from taxing marijuana and then we're going to give it to the schools or like we shared on Sunday that the Supreme Court, they couldn't understand or define what obscene was. And so they allowed pornography to come into our nation. And everything is what? It's just money, 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 money. The billions that are being spent, the billions that are being made, and yet the lives, the souls that are being destroyed through these things. But it's interesting that as a... As a as a nation, as states, that they begin to compromise the word of God for wealth. And that's exactly what's happening here in our text. That this whole area of commercial Babylon, this area of political Babylon, that it was about making people wealthy, making people wealthy, making people wealthy. And although they wanted to make people wealthy, it was interesting when it comes to this whole area of the religious Babylon, if you go with me back in verse 16 of Revelation 17, the people's response to the destruction of religious Babylon was this, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. This is what they think of religious Babylon. If religion gets put to the side, no one sheds a tear. If there's no more religion, people are fine. But if there's no more economy, if there's no more wealth, if there's no more commercialism, if there's not that, then we see here, verse 9 of chapter 18, They will weep and lament for her. It says the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and mourn for her when they see the smoke of her burning. In verse 15, which is where I had made a mention earlier, the merchants of these things who came 
who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of torment, weeping and wailing. In verse 19, they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing. You see this grieving, this weeping, this wailing over commercialism. You see the weeping and wailing over the funds that they would have. And I find it interesting that when it comes to this area that people are looking for, how can I prosper? How can I grow? How can I gain? Remember that passage back in I want to say it's Matthew 26, verse 15, where Judas Iscariot will go before the chief priests. And he would ask this question in verse 15 of Matthew 26. He said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver them to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver, and he will give up his Lord. 30 pieces of silver. Eventually in chapter 27, verse 3, we see here that he says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, brought back his 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests. Well, in verse 9, and it was fulfilled with, uh, um, verse 7, and they consult together, and let me back at verse 6. So the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought within the potter's field to bury the strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, and with whom the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. It's interesting that through this whole gaining, 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 even Judas would betray our Lord. But as we see all this happening, as we see what's going on, initially, it seems like this prosperity is something. It seems that the prosperity is something that is good and to go after. And understand that this chapter is not forbidding prosperity. It's not saying that you can't make money. can't say that you can't be wealthy. It's not saying that. But what it is saying is this, that in that area that we shared where you know the, the Lord spoke of in, in, in Luke, he, he made that statement, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Keep it in perspective. Seek first the kingdom. All these other things will be added. And so keep in mind that this chapter, as we go through and we look at this area of commercialism, we look to this area of, you know, with the prosperity, God doesn't say that being prosperous is bad. But if it's only prosperity which you seek, then it's bad. How do we know? Well, eventually in verse 23 of this chapter, Revelation 18, we're going to read this. We'll read it now and study it in just a bit. But it says, The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, 
all the nations were deceived. Do you understand what this is? That there is this area of covetousness. And there's something within covetousness that's almost demonic. It blinds you of the things of the spiritual and it brings you only to the things of the material. And that becomes your life. That becomes your standard. And this is where chapter 18 begins to warn us. Not that you can't have wealth. God you know, told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And he did. And there were other saints that he did bless. But just because we're walking with God doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be blessed monetarily. We're going to be blessed spiritually. But sometimes he says, I'll bless you monetarily too. Because, hey, you're a steward. And I know that if I bless you with this, you're going to take care of those things that I need in my house and in my heart and in my family. And that's what we see here that it's not always bad. But if you only look to it, we see here it's a sorcery. There's a deception that goes on. And that's the warning that we're going to see. So now that we have that context, let's jump into this chapter and, and break it apart a little further. Once again, it says in Revelation 18 verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven. So we see that after spiritual Babylon is destroyed, there's another angel that comes. Well, remember now that angel that came in chapter 17, he was one of the angels of the seven bowls. This one here is a little different. Now he has great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. This is a shining angel. This is one of those shining stars. And he says when he comes and he begins to speak this out, there is this illumination that is over the earth. And I do not believe that it was a local illumination. I believe that this angel, like the Lord, it was, you know, when Moses was there, he just glowed. This angel, with great authority, there's this glow about him, and the earth is illuminated with his purity, with his holiness, with his glory. And he cried out mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. That's huge to have two times it being said. You know that once you say, hey, I've fallen. And then he says, and you're fallen even more. You're not getting up. And this is what the angel declares that this area of the whole political and commercial Babylon. He says, now it's done. And when this angel says it's done, he really means it's done. How do I know? Well, I'm guessing in just about one hour, it's all going to be wiped out. That's fallen. And as we see here, it declares again in verse 2, he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. He begins to talk about here, the area of Babylon is this place now where the demonic begin to just take residence. 
Now it says it has become a dwelling place. Most scholars, and I would agree with them, say that it, it is a place, has been a place, and will continue to be that place. And so we see here that it's become, has become a place of demons, a place for every foul spirit. I believe they were there prior to. I believe there's more that's going to be here. It's almost as if God says, this is in this place of destruction. This is where I'm going to camp you guys out. But they've been here. These are the ones who deceive the nations. Now verse 3, for, every, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth had committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. We see here that everyone was gaining power. They were gaining power, they were gaining wealth, they were you know, doing everything the world says to be a successful person. They were gaining power, they were gaining wealth. So all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Keep in mind that what had happened with the mark of the beast was what no one could buy or sell unless they had that mark. And there was this area where, as we would learn, and we're going to learn eventually as we come back to Matthew's gospel, there in, in Matthew's gospel, it talks about you know, the, those who, he says, you're, you're blessed. Why? Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When, Lord, when? And we know that he's talking about those sheep and goats, those people here in this point of Daniel's 70th week, who when that time comes, they minister to those that do not have the mark. And those, he says, you're going to be the sheep. To the ones who didn't minister, you're going to be the goats. Depart from me. And we're going to see here this understanding that here everyone has come and they desired to have part of what was going on. They wanted wealth. They wanted luxury. They wanted to be a part of this Babylonian dream, if you will. And as they were part of that, it says here, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I do believe, as probably more scholars do than not, is that there is going to be a time of great prosperity that begins to happen here. One, because... You have a lot of Christians that are taken up in the rapture. You got a lot of wealth that comes back to the people. And so you're able now to disperse all these things. And there's going to be this time of blessing as it goes. One of the things that we see is there in Ezekiel is when the attack of Gog and Magog comes against Jerusalem, it's to plunder her. It's to take of her wealth. And at this point with you know Israel finding that largest natural gas vein and they found the oil, um, they're, they're going to do well for a lot of years to come. But eventually Gog and Magog are going to want to come to plunder that. As we see here, they just become intoxicated through this desire for luxury. And it's almost as if we're going to see here that there are going to be a lot of people who get caught up 
and they become a slave to luxury. They become a slave to, oh, I should have this and I should have this. And, and, and you know, because the ads say, I'm a good person, I deserve to have this thing, and I think I should have that. And we go to all these things and we're caught up in it. We're almost enslaved by the propaganda that comes through, you deserve this, you should have this. And as we see here, they're all caught up in it. They've Basically, they're part of her fornication over and over. And these merchants have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Well, as we see, the world is now caught up in this whole commercial and political Babylon. Now, verse 4 says, there's another voice. And I heard another voice saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. At this point, there's a warning. There's a warning to God's people. He says, listen, I know you've been here in this world. But what you need to do is this, get away from her. In the same way as when God came down and looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he had that conversation with Abraham. And Abraham began to barter with God and say, what about 50 and then 40 and then 30 and all the way down to 10. And eventually he got to 10 and then he stopped. Now what God did is he said, okay, Abraham, if you think that that is the limit of my grace, if you think that is the limit of my mercy, go ahead. You can pause there, but I know one thing. There's Lot. And I'm going to have Lot taken out of there. And Lot and his wife and his two daughters will be ushered out. His wife will turn back. She will turn to salt his daughters. You know what they did. And Lot... Scripture calls Lot righteous Lot, whose righteous soul was tormented day and night. Because he was there in that city that was evil. And he says here, get out of her. Get out of her. Leave now. And I find it so wonderful to hear, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. Now, notice that God doesn't say go out of her. He doesn't say go out of her. He says come out of her. You're leaving one thing, but you're coming to God. God's not in this city. He's come out of her. Come over to me. This is what God says. Not just go out of her. It's not just this generic thing. It says come out of her. And so this coming out of her, come towards me. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. You understand that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. As you're a part of that, as you're hanging out with that area, eventually it's going to rub off on you. And I think that in our nation, that there is an aspect of who we are as a nation that it kind of rubs off on us. We want to be this prosperous nation. And we want to have where all these other nations are envious of us. And we, we are a very giving nation. We take care of a lot of things around the world. But what happens is this. When it's only the pursuit of wealth and not the pursuit of God, we as a nation, we fail. 
It isn't about being a wealthy nation. What God wants us to be is a righteous nation. And so we have to make the laws that we have to understand what it's about you, God. We are going to compromise these things for society's sake. It's going to be you. You are Lord. You are God. You are the King. We called ourselves initially one nation under God. And I believe that we were in a sense, but now we look to our nation and our founding founder fathers would be shocked to see what was going on. We look to this and he says, just come on out of her because you don't want to share in her sins because if you share in her sins, you're going to what? You're going to share in the consequences. You're going to share in the plagues. In other words, if you begin to sow this mindset, you're going to reap this mindset. As you sow to this, they're going to reap destruction. That's what we begin to see. For her sins, verse 5, have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. With all the things here that they're doing, one thing has come now to God and that was her sins. Yeah, your sins are before me. And at this point, I have remembered your iniquity. So we see in verse 6, render to her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed double for her, in the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give to her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. So he talks about in verse 6, rendering to her, repay double. There's a passage in Luke chapter 6, don't turn there, jot it down. Luke chapter 6, I want to read verse 37 and verse 38. Luke 6, Luke 6 verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and it will be forgiven to you. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And this is what he says in verse 6. Render to her just as she rendered to you. Then the same way that she judged you, she's going to be judged. And God says, and I'm going to repay her double according to her works, which is the cup which she mixed, mixed double for her. And God says, for here, religious Babylon, they're going to get extra. Not just this eye for an eye, but God is saying that there, as the sin has come up and her iniquities have come up, and as we see that there, they've slayed the saints, because of this, she's going to have this double portion that's going to come. And verse 7 says, In the measure that she glorified herself, in the measure that she lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow, I will not see sorrow. We see here that with all of her wealth, eventually there comes this greater torment that is going to be taking place. 
In verse 16 and 17, I want to read this to you because this is, Alas, alas, a great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. All the beauty, everything that they had became nothing in the Gospel of Luke. I want to read to you just one portion from Luke chapter 16. I want to read from verses 24 down through verse 26, and it declares this. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now you know this is that situation of... um, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, he uses his name. He never uses a name in any parable. So you know this isn't a parable. And so you have this man, Lazarus. You have this rich man. He doesn't say his name. But of course, we know the scripture says, depart from me, I never knew you. So it lines up with scripture. But as he has all these things, in verse 19 of Luke 16, said he was a certain rich man who was clothed with purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the master's table. That's all he wanted. Well, here now, the rich man is in torment. Lazarus is being comforted. He said, hey, just, just give me a little comfort. Do I really have to go through the entirety of this torment? I'm tormented to this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, there's between us and you and us, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So he says that you who had all this in life and took it and kept it all for you and you didn't give it to your fellow man. You had all that and you kept all that and now because you loved this wealth, you loved all the things you had and you didn't love your fellow man, you weren't mine because of this, now you have torment. And that's what's happening here. That everything that they had, now everything is going. She was at one point, verse 16 says, clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And now she's nothing. Now in one hour, such riches came to nothing. But she says of herself in verse 7, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and will see no sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. She says, nothing's going to happen to me. Well, what she doesn't realize is she's going to be utterly burned with fire. Why? Because strong is the Lord God who judges her. There's a passage, if you want, you can turn there, found in the book of Isaiah. I want to start reading in Isaiah chapter 47. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And I'm going to go all the way down through verse 11. 
And in Isaiah chapter 47, beginning in verse 7, it says, And you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart. Just as, as here, this harlot was saying, listen, I sit as queen, I am no widow. Well, the same thing that Isaiah said, you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come to you in a moment in one day. The loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries. For the great abundance of your enchantments, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. Therefore, verse 11, this evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises and trouble shall fall upon you. You shall not be able to put it off and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. It's interesting that within this mode of covetousness, that mindset is this. I am me and there's only me and there's no one else. In other words, it's all about me. It's all about me. What can I get? What can I gain? And I'm going to have my riches and I'm going to sit as this queen. I'm going to sit as this lady. I'm going to have no loss of anything. And that's where here in verse 7, this one said, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I will see no sorrow. She's boasting, thinking there is no harm that can come to me at all. And then verse 8 says, well, because you think no harm can come to you, therefore her plagues will come in one day. When you think nothing can happen, and it won't like gradually creep in, it's just going to slam you with everything. It's going to come in one day, death and mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. When God finally says, I've given you enough time to repent, you did not, now comes the judgment. At this point, when judgment comes, what we're seeing is this. It is quick, it is, it is sufficient, and it is deadly. And so when that angel is saying Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, this is what it looks like. We see here that plagues will come upon her one day, death, mourning, famine. She will be utterly burned with fire. Now verse 9, we see here that there's this, as Babylon is destroyed, everyone who benefited from this here political and commercial workings that was going on through the Antichrist here in Daniel's 70th week, 
it says in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. So remember, no one cared what happened to religious Babylon. Oh, but when it comes to commercial Babylon, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to everything that they live for, when this is destroyed, now they begin to weep and lament. Because this is where their hearts are. And we understand that there where your heart is, you know, where your treasure is, there's your heart is. And so we see that this here, their treasure, their heart was right here with commercial and political Babylon. And verse 10, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants. So first we see the kings there in verse 9 and 10. And in verse 11, now we come to the merchants. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon and incense, fragrance oil, and fragrance wine and oil, fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and the bodies and the souls of men, the fruit that your soul longed for. All the merchants... And it's interesting that what we see here is all the merchants, what they do is this. It's almost as if you go into, you know, one of the department stores and all of a sudden you have just these different departments within this giant store. And so as you're walking around the store, we see here initially that there in verse 12 is the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. So you see here that all the jewelry and clothing, you got that department in the store. It's like, oh, let's go right here. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I love the clothes. I want today's, you know, today's model. And, and I want the, the fine jewelry. And I want all these things. And that's the first thing they go to. And what's interesting is normally when you walk into, you know, the stores, it's not too far when you walk in and you hit the jewelry department. It's like right there. And then you move on into the clothing department. And after you hit that, it says here, then you have every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. And now you have all your appliance sections. You've got everything that you could possibly want. You can, you can build your counters, you can build your cabinets, you can, everything that's here is now, what's the next thing? It's all the stuff. Now you can get a lower grade or you can get a higher grade. You could have it of whatever that you want. And I find it interesting that after you have all of the, the, the stones and pearls and linen, and then you come to every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, 
every kind of object of the most precious wood and the most precious bronze and iron and marble. All these objects. It's the appliance department. And you think, wow, that's amazing. And then you move from there and you go into the food area. And it says in cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, meat department, of course, you know, horses and chariots, automotive. You have all these things that are taking place here. Wherever you go, it's here. And you see there's all these sections, just one area after another area after another. And when you walk through a store, they got the entire, they got Walmart here. <laughs> they got Walmart right here. They got Target if you want. If you want to get a higher, you're, it's Kohl's. It's all these things. It's Nordstrom's. Whichever store you go into, they all have the same stuff. And as we see here, the last thing it shows is this, the bodies and the souls of men. You have an area that just simply uses men. There's a part in our society, and I hate to say it, but it uses women. It uses men. It uses people's lives, and it tears them up. And this is what we see here. They're going to sell men. They're going to sell women. They're going to sell people. It's human trade. It's the, 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 the trade of, of um, harlotry, those kind of a things. The trade of pornography. All these things here, the bodies and the souls of men. And what they do is there is no regard for men. There's no regard for life. There's no regard for decency. It's what? How can I make money off of you? How can I make money from this? I don't need to be righteous. I don't need to be decent. I need to say, what can I do to feed your flesh? What can I do to feed your lust? Whether it's the, the, the lust for stuff, whether it's the lust for your stomach, whether it's the lust for your, your very soul, whatever your lust is, they're going to feed it. And that's what happens here with the merchants in verses 11 and 12. You see the kings initially, those who all want the power, but the merchants, they know what they're doing. And it's interesting that what they have is, think about it, it is the departments in a store. Everything that's there, they miss none. And then in verse 14, it says, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. You've wanted this. Everything that your soul longed for is gone. What a sad thing that right now your soul is so empty. Your soul is so hollow. You have nothing. Now the great thing for the Christian is, Take all my stuff. Why? Because my soul is filled. I have Jesus Christ. I have his word. I have his light. I have his spirit. And stuff can come and stuff can go. I love what Paul said. I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content because stuff is just stuff. I am a steward over these things. It is not master over me. Now here we see that these guys, that the stuff was a master over them. This is where the problem is. When God blesses you, just understand, I'm a steward. It's all God's. He'll do with what he wants. 
But if it begins to master me, now I've got to watch out and I've got to go all the way back to verse 4 and say, come on out of her, get out of here, don't stay in that place. Don't let stuff master you. Well, here it says in verse 14, the fruit of your soul, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed with fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. In one hour it became absolutely nothing. So just like the rich man that we were reading about there in Luke 16, he was doing fine until what? <laughs> One night his soul was required of him. And then he found himself in torment. What could he do at that point? One hour, such great riches came to nothing. Verse 17, every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. Now with this line in verse 17, I didn't touch on this earlier because I wanted to get to this section before I shared. There are a lot of scholars who do believe that here, this city that is of political and commercial Babylon is the actual Babylon that was there during the time of Nebuchadnezzar that has been now rebuilt. Um, Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon, and they do believe it's the Babylon that is located there in Iraq. I would disagree, and the reason I disagree is because of verse 17. In verse 17 it says, For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance. This looks like it's more of a seaport, not something that's located in the middle of the land. Now where it is, we don't know. And of course, that those who say Babylon, they think they know. But I've never seen, seen a ship park up next to Babylon. Unless it, you know, it's one of those, like a Marines, you know, where you got both the water and land ships. But that's not what it seems here. It seems that there is this a port. And verse 18, they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They looked to the city and said, what is like, just like they used to say back in, in Revelation 13, for, for who, who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with the beast? Well, like this, this, this city, where verse 7, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and I will see no sorrow. Oh, yes, you will. And we see here that they, verse 19, these shipmasters, those who travel by ship, they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. So those three that made were made wealthy, the kings and the merchants and the, the, the shipmasters and the sailors, all those now lament here the destruction of this political and commercial Babylon. Now what I love is this. 
in verse 19, you have this weeping and wailing that's been going on from the, the kings to the merchants to here the shipmasters. And as all this weeping and wailing going on, verse 20 becomes a stark contrast. Because here, what we've been seeing is this. You've been seeing the earth's view. You've been seeing here how the earth mourns for Babylon. And now what we see is this, verse 20, rejoice over her. You understand? This isn't the earth anymore. This is not earth's perspective. This is heaven's perspective. Earth is now grieving over all this is gone. It's gone. It's gone. And keep in mind, when you look to all the stuff that we accumulate, one day it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to either a junkyard where they take all these cars and they crush them into tiny little cubes. Or you go to the dump and you see what? Stuff that was new and precious to people that turn out to be what? Now it's just garbage. Cars that people used to just polish and drive off the lot and wipe off their tires and everything are now just one little tiny chunk of metal. And it's nothing. And all the things that they thought, this is something, this is something, this is my life, this is everything. This fills my soul. Now it's empty. And God, in verse 20, says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. At this point, political and re the commercial Babylon, like the spiritual Babylon, has been destroyed. These two cities are gone. And as they're gone, we see here, that as the world weeps and wails, heaven rejoices. Why? Payment. Payment because of everything that was done through the saints. And we see here that as they had tormented the saints, as they had killed the saints, all the saints that were there under the altar, at this point, verse 20, rejoice over her. Rejoice over this destruction that Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. Oh, heaven, rejoice. And you holy apostles, prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. I want to share with you a passage. You know it. Jot it down. Matthew chapter 18 verse 6. It declares this. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And this is that picture that here, this mighty angel, verse 21, takes up a stone like a great millstone, throws it into the sea, and say, thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sounds of the harpist, 
musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. So we see here that the musicians, those who are craftsmen, who are builders and fixers, those who are um, the, the, the bakers, anyone with the sound of a millstone, the workers, nothing will be heard in this city. There will be no life in that city, which is tangible. The only life in that city, of course, is going to be what? Verse 2, that life is going to be the prison for every foul spirit, the place for demons, and the cage for every unclean and hated bird. That's what's going to be in the city. And so here, verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. You have to understand that there is this area of covetousness that gets in the mind and gets in the heart. And it gets to the point where you're blinded because all you can think of is the next thing. All you can think of is the next thing. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's more? Then there's always just that little bit more. I love that saying that came from Rockefeller when they came and they asked him. He was the very first billionaire in our you know, nation. And he said, how much is enough? And I love that classic answer he, he gave. He pondered for just a little bit before he told the reporter, just a little bit more. No matter how much you want, what's going to satisfy you? How much is enough to satisfy? How much satisfies you? No matter what you have, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And that's where they're at. They're deceived. And I find it interesting that by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. This area of political and commercial Babylon. And verse 24, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. At this point, Revelation 16, verse 6 says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and, have, and, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And that's what he's done. And just as was here, they had slain the prophets, they've slain the saints, all who were there who were of gods that they wanted to persecute. Now they get to drink the cup. And they will drink the cup. They will drink it down to the dregs, to the bitterness of that cup. And so we see here that through this, now political Babylon is destroyed with commercial Babylon as far as the spiritual Babylon. These two things are now destroyed. This ends the judgment that has been so devastating and then we come to that glorious chapter, chapter 19. But although we come to this chapter, it says in verse 1, After these things I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. He's judged. He's judged the dragon. He's judged the beast. He's judged the false prophet. 
And he's judged all the earth that has taken and have committed fornication with them, have, have knit their hearts and their souls and their mind and their strength to her. And now that it's all been done, it's over. But I find it fascinating how the world weeps and weeps and weeps and it cannot do this anymore and heaven rejoices. I want you to pray about things that when you see the world weeping, and I'll guarantee you that in less than seven days, maybe eight days, once we get to this contentious election over, I don't know how long it's going to take, there is going to be chaos. There's going to be weeping. There's going to be wailing. Half of them are going to. And what's interesting is this. I do believe that no matter what takes place, heaven is going to rejoice. Because the key is, is this. What's going to draw people's hearts to God? And you can either have your mind here on earth and weep and wail and mourn, or you can have your eyes set on heaven and rejoice, saying, God, you are going to use this to draw people's hearts to you. And I think it's important to note that. I think it's important to look to that. And I'm so grateful that God has given us this, this passage. He's almost like way back from the foundation of the world, he realized we needed this here today. Amen. I need this in my heart. I need this in my mind. I need this in my walk. Because it isn't about, and I think it's so interesting that our country right now, that there are, the whole thing is about what? Oh, we, 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 we can't elect this person because it's going to destroy our nation. We can't elect this other person because everything's going to come crashing down. The stock markets are going to crash. I don't know if you noticed the stock markets today dropped over 800 points. Over 800 points. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who wailing and weeping over that. And God's like, Rejoice! Rejoice because I'm still on the throne. Rejoice because I'm still going to give to you your daily bread. I'm going to provide all that you need. So rejoice in me. Don't rejoice in these things on the earth. And I think with that, it's, it's a good, good word for us. Because God tells, rejoice over her, O heaven. And I think it's important that, that when these things come crashing down, the things that were so much their souls, the very souls, remember what we talked to there in verse 14, the fruit of that your soul longed for has gone from you. God has taken away everything that they would hope. And he's going to make them empty and empty and empty. So they realize, you know what? There was always an empty spot. And the world never filled that empty spot. There's, there's a hole in the soul of every man that you could take everything in the world and shove it in there and still not fill it. There's only one thing that fills that emptiness and that's Jesus Christ. That's God. That's salvation. When that's filled, guess what? There's no more room for the world. You don't need that anymore. God supplies those things, but you seek first the kingdom, his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. But it's important to see that here, he's rejoicing. Why? Because once they realize there's this emptiness, they're going to realize there's only one thing that fills it. And brothers and sisters, 
Note this, in the couple weeks to come, next week, if you're feeling an emptiness, realize you don't have to because your soul is filled. You have God and with him you have everything. He's on the throne. As we saw, you know, last week, that they made war with the Lamb and the Lamb overcomes them, you know, because He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and so it's just a perfect word for us to really recognize what fills your soul, really what does. And be careful that you don't get caught up in this area of covetousness where, where your life consists of the things that you possess. Your life consists in God. And may that ever be our hearts. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for this word. We're asking, Lord, that you would continue to illuminate areas in our heart where we've gone after things. Where we're kind of given ourselves up and caught up and enslaved by Luxury that we come in debt to things that would cause us luxury. Draw us back to your heart and only to your heart. Draw us back to your plan, to the worship of you. And continue to do the work. Tonight, Lord, we bless you. Tonight, we thank you for drawing us back into that right perspective. May you be glorified and may your kingdom come. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.